about uh, the question of do we really want God to keep his promises? And we were using the text of Deuteronomy 28, which is, has a parallel text in the book of Leviticus about the promise of blessings, but also cursings to God's people for their faithfulness to uh, the terms of the law that he has given to us. And I mentioned last time that the, the nature of the blessings, and that's what we focused on, you know, the, quote, good stuff that we all like to hear, that for, for faithfulness to the standards that the Lord provided, and uh, this is the first 14 verses of Deuteronomy 28, if you want to go ahead and turn there, that, first of all, the nature of these blessings is that they are national. They aren't targeted at individual, individual units of people. They're, they're speaking, the Lord is speaking to a covenant nation. Now, it wasn't hundreds of millions of thousands of people, but nonetheless, it was a community a coherent community of people who were designated as his people. So there's the national element to it, but then also the promised blessings are very clearly earthly and material. Now, these aren't just, you know, pie in the sky, by and by when you die things. This is a promise of real material blessing in this world. I mean, our God is the true God. He doesn't exist in this mystical, misty thing where he never intersects because he's too holy to do so with the world that he created and the people that he created. So we've got a, a, the nationalistic characteristic of the blessing. We've got the material and earthly nature of the blessing. And the thirdly, I mentioned that the promised blessings are conditional. What does it mean for something to be conditional? Bradley, do you know? It's okay. I mean, I'm just kind of out of the blue asking this. Connor? Anyone? You do this, I'll do that. Yeah, it, if then. If you do this, then the condition is this will happen. If you eat all your suppers, then you can have your dessert. Yeah, that's kind of a conditional. So um, the, the conditional nature of this is that they are required to be faithful. The blessings, and he outlines all the blessings in these first 14 verses. And they are marvelous. Blessings of land, blessings of family and prosperity and all these things and good health. Uh, but they're conditional on their being faithful to God's word. All right, so now we want to move on to the other part because the two go together. Um, again, a lot of people in a lot of churches, they don't like to hear the second part, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that we think that you know, we know more than God does, but our Lord is sovereign and he determines these things. And actually the nature of this type of covenant structure is unavoidable. You know, we, we find the same thing in contracts between people. You know, we're going to enter into this contract, and if you keep your part, I'll keep my part, and if you do this, then that, that that's a very similar type thing. But, you, so you've got the blessings of the contract. You know, you get the land if you pay me the money, but then you've got the sanctions or the cursings. If you don't do this, then you don't get the land, and you may go to jail or, you know, whatever the case may be. But let's... Um, I'm using the ESV tonight because I think it might be a little bit... There's a lot of stuff here. But we're going to read every one of these. Uh, not, I'm, I'm not going to do it by myself. So, um, Joshua, if you would read Deuteronomy 28, verses 15 through 24. And then I'll ask for readers for the other verses. 28, 15 to 24. 15, that's right. But it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, 
that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. Cursed shalt thou be in the city, and cursed shalt thou be in the field. Cursed shall be thy basket and thy storehouse. Cursed shall be the fruit of thy womb, or thy body, and the fruit of the land, and the increase of thy kind, and their flocks of thy sheep. Cursed shalt, be, uh, cursed shalt thou be when thou comest in, and cursed shalt thou be when thou goest out. The Lord shall send upon thee cursing, vexation, and rebuke, and all that thou settest thine hand unto for to do, until thou be destroyed, and until thou perish quickly, because of the, wicked, because of the wickedness of thy doings, whereby thou hast forsaken me. The Lord shall make the pestilence cleave unto thee until he have consumed thee from off the land whither thou goest to possess it. And the Lord shall smite thee with a consumption and with a fever and with an inflammation and with an extreme burning and with the sword and with the blasting and with the mildew and they shall pursue thee until thou perish. My heaven that is over thy head shall be brass, and the earth that is under thee shall be iron, and the Lord shall make the rain of thy land powder and dust, and the heaven from heaven shall it come down upon thee until thou be destroyed. All right, so you can see that... Uh, um, We've already read about as many verses as that's in the first part where the blessings are mentioned, but there's a whole lot more coming. Uh, I'm going to read verses 25 through 35, and uh, I'll be asking for somebody to pick up at verse 36. Um, and I'm going to use the proper term Yahweh, which is the word that's really behind capital L-O-R-D. Yahweh will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them. And you shall be a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth. And your dead body shall be food for all birds of the air and for the beasts of the earth. And there shall be no one to frighten them away. Yahweh will strike you with the boils of Egypt and with tumors and scabs and itch which, you cannot, which cannot be healed. Yahweh will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of mind. And you shall grope at noonday as the blind grope in the darkness. And you shall not prosper in your ways. And you shall only be oppressed and robbed, and continually there shall be no one to help you. You shall not betroth a wife, but another man shall ravish her. You shall build a house, but you shall not dwell in it. You shall plant a vineyard, but you shall not enjoy its fruit. Your ox shall be slaughtered before your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Eat any of it. Your donkey shall be seized before your face, but shall not be restored to you. Your sheep shall be given to your enemies, but there shall be no one to help you. Your sons and your daughters shall be given to another people, your, uh, while your eyes look on the, and fall on, with the longing for them all day long, but you shall be helpless. Verse 33, A nation that you have known shall eat up the fruit of your ground and of all your labors, and you shall be only oppressed and crushed continually, so that you are driven at, mad by the sights that your eyes see. The Lord shall strike you on the knees and on the legs with grievous boils, of which you cannot be healed, from the sole of your foot to the crown of your head. I, mean, I think we can already see that um, even somebody who's half smart would be wise to obey the Lord's commandments, right? 
All right, um, Michelle, would you read verses 36 through 46? Okay, Mike, would you read verses 47 through 57? Delicateness and refinement 
shall be hostile toward the husband she cherishes and toward her son and daughter and toward her afterbirth which is which issues from between her legs and toward her children whom she bears for she will eat them secretly for lack of anything else during the siege and the distress by which your enemy will oppress you in your town so we're going to go back over not extensively but have a general thing to say about this material but what are these last several verses describing what's the one word cannibalism these people are eating their children now where do we know about something like that happening later in redemptive history AD 70 the destruction of Jerusalem they ended up doing the same thing why were they doing that why are these people going to be doing it according to Yahweh because they're being cursed for disobeying and breaking the covenant and guess what it followed them all the way to AD 70 when they broke the ultimate covenant so I'm going to finish reading the chapter I just noticed that in 55 the father doesn't he won't even share the flesh of his own children with other people I mean it's very horrific All right, verse 58 if you are not careful to do all the words of this law that are written in this book that you may fear this glorious and awesome name of Yahweh your God then Yahweh will bring on you and your offspring extraordinary afflictions, afflictions severe and lasting, and sickness grievous and lasting. And he will bring upon you again all the diseases of Egypt, of which you were afraid, and they shall cling to you. Every sickness also and every affliction that is not recorded in the book of this law, Yahweh will bring upon you until you are destroyed. Whereas you were as numerous as the stars of heaven, you shall be left few in number, because you did not obey the voice of Yahweh your God. And as Yahweh took delight in doing you good, notice that, he took delight in doing them good um, and, and multiplying you, so Yahweh will take delight in bringing ruin upon you and destroying you, and you shall be plucked off the land and you are, that you are entering to take possession of it. And Yahweh will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other, and there, there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone which neither you nor your fathers have known. And among these nations you shall find no respite, and there shall be no resting place for the sole of your foot. But Yahweh will give you there a trembling heart and falling, failing eyes and a languishing soul. Your life shall hang in doubt before you. Night and day you shall be in dread and have no assurance of your life. In the morning you shall say, if only it were evening, and at evening you shall say, if only it were morning, because of the dread that your heart shall feel and the sights that your eyes shall see. And Yahweh will bring you back in ships to Egypt, a journey that I promised that you should never make again. And there you shall offer yourselves for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves, but there shall be no buyer. All right, like I said, I think it's important to uh, have us look through all of that material for a variety of reasons. It's not enjoyable reading, but if we really say we want God to keep his promises, those are as much a promise as the good ones before. So these curses are the exact opposite of the blessings that are given in verses 1 through 14 of this chapter. Uh, the rejection of God's law means that the covenant becomes an overwhelming, to use the words of one commentator, an overwhelming flood of judgment. Uh, all men, races, tribes, tongues, and peoples are under the curse of Adam's fall in Genesis 3, 17 to 19. 
Those who are the people of the covenant, that is Christians, are especially under the curse for rejecting the covenant as renewed in Abraham, Isaac, and on uh, our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 22, if you look at um, chapter 28 and verse 22, let me turn back to that. <clears throat> the Lord will strike you with wasting disease, with fever, inflammation, and fiery heat. Uh, and the point there is you have uh, a series of sevens. Seven judgments pursue the old covenant nation of Israel, both men and pestilence and for faithlessness. This judgment comes upon them in this sort of sick cycle. Um, if you know something about biblical numerology, for lack of a better term, what does the number seven signify generally in Scripture? Wholeness, completeness. Wholeness or completeness. So the point there is there's no probability... Uh, it's only certainty that these things are going to happen. Uh, irresistible curses are going to fall upon faithless people. Now, people who think of themselves as wiser than God and his law and his wisdom, uh, they, in these curses, are reduced to the level of the animals. And men today, of course, believe that human beings are a type of animals, or maybe even worse, a type of machine. And God's curse from these words indicates that people have thought, people in rebellion against God have thought this way, contrary to what God says about his creation for many, many, many centuries. And the curse is these people are going to behave like the animals that they think people really are. Um, if you look again at verses 53 to 54, uh, you shall eat the fruit of your own body, the flesh of your sons and daughters uh, in the siege. Uh, verse 54, the sensitive and the very refined man among you will be hostile toward his brother, toward the wife of his bosom, and toward the rest of his children whom he leaves behind. And then if you look down at verse 63, uh, let's see here. As the Lord rejoiced over you to do good and to multiply you, so the Lord Yahweh will rejoice over you to destroy you and bring you to nothing, to bring you to naught. So the fact is that history tells us that there are times of depopulation as a result of God's judgments. This is the sobering reality. And as I've said from the pulpit more than a few times in terms of, as we've talked about uh, the requirements of capital punishment, the death penalty for certain crimes that God prescribes it for, that's an example of God's telling us this is how you control the criminal population. Just like you control... Uh, a nest or an infestation of, of cockroaches in your home. There's a certain thing you got to do to wipe them out. Now, you don't care if those cockroaches are outside doing their thing or somebody else's house, but when they come to your house, if you're going to get rid of them, this is what must be done. And so likewise with this, if people want to avoid these kind of horrific judgments, then the way is simple. Obey what Yahweh has told us to do. And um, uh, But the preference for evil men and nations, is to do away with that by confusing or blurring the lines between good and evil. And so people who don't like a standard given by God, they want to have something that's sort of fuzzy and unclear in terms of good and evil, uh, you know, the, the gray areas. But now, of course, in our time, it's become 
just the opposite, where that which is evil is very clear to people, and that which is good is very clear to people. The problem is it's completely opposite of what God says is good and what God says is evil. So what the Lord is doing here in these verses is drawing the lines very sharply and very clearly. Good and evil cannot be confused without sin and without the risk of these judgments. Um, Could I have, uh, let's see, Elaine, could you read Deuteronomy 28 verse 21? New King James reads, the Lord will make the plague cling to you until he has consumed you. Uh, the pestilence, uh, it's going to cling to you. Now the word plague or pestilence can also be translated or is connected to the word death. And one translation, I don't, I don't Josh, if you've ever heard of this, it popped up on one of my computer feeds, uh, the NETS, NETS. Um, That's a new translation. I know there's the, the Net Bible, the New English translation, which was done online and they received input, but I don't think this is it. I've never seen it referred to as N-E-T-S. I've only seen it as N-E-T. But at any rate, they had an interesting reading of this, uh, transla- or this translation. May the Lord make death cling to you until it consumes you off the land that you're entering there to inherit it. So death clings to the godless to elim- eliminate them from the land. Um, and that's why, as Dr. Rustuni said, God's law is eschatological and postmillennial. God's law works to eliminate evil. If men and nations won't re- apply it, if they won't abide by it, God applies it against them in judgment. And it's all really very simple. And it, it, it's not easy to live through and play out. And I don't know if you, if you need to. I mean, go back and reread this whole section. It's a long reading and not happy reading. You know, read it from one of these modern paraphrase translations. Read it from three or four different ones. And if you don't see the connections with what we're dealing with in our modern society, I mean, it's, <laughs> I don't know how more plain it can be. I mean, some of these very judgments are what we're seeing descending upon what, at one point, were called Christian societies or Christian nations here in North America and in Europe. So, often when God's plan for, as I referred to it a moment ago, criminal population controls are rejected... Well, if you're not going to control the criminal population, what are the criminals going to do to you? They will kill you at, 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 a, at the extreme, but they may kill you when there's, I mean, anyway. And in killing you, they are the ones who are acting as agents for God's judgment, uh, for those who have rejected God. See, these... This chapter and these words are not addressed to the Muslims, they're not addressed to the Buddhists, they're addressed to God's covenant people. I mean, they have their own judgment to deal with, but these are directed to God's people who ought to know better and who've been given a better law to live by. Um, In verses 23 to 24, we're told that God uses, well, let's look at it. What is he using here in 23 and 24 of chapter 8? What's the means of judgment? Anyone? The The weather. He's using the weather as an avenue because before the blessings came, you, you, they were going to have good weather, and you know that would have a positive effect on their crops. He uses the weather to judge men and nations. Drought will destroy the fields and reduce men to hunger and death. Diseases and madness will overtake God's enemies. Verses twenty-seven to twenty-nine. Um, 
One translation, look at verse 28, Deuteronomy 28, 28. One translation has this, The Lord will make you lose your mind. He will make you blind. You won't know what's going on. And that means that the most obvious things will become incomprehensible to people who reject God. Enemies will overcome them, according to verse 25. And then in verses 30 to 36, their wives and children and possessions will fall into the hands of their enemies. And verse 37, a people who were once free and powerful will be the marvel and wonder of the world by the extent of their collapse and their fall. And verses 37 and following, every turn, every perverse circumstance will overwhelm these perverse people. The curse will continue and intensify against a perverse and apostate people, verses 36 to 68. So, just as in Deuteronomy 28, 1 to 14, there's a promise of real, genuine blessings, so too in these verses, there's a promise of real curses, real sanctions. Um, in verses 15 to 24, the promised curses are against the people and their land. And in verses 25 to 48, God curses, uh, God's curse drives them from the land. They're dispossessed. And then in verses 49 to 68, to, to the end of the chapter, God smashes them for failing to learn from all of his judgments and he requi- that he requires repentance and obedience. And the promises of death to Israel for covenant faithlessness, and as has already been mentioned, that played out ultimately in the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70. That was the symbolic destruction of Old Covenant Israel. And the thing that brought them, well, you tell me, what was it that finally brought the curtain down? What was the sin they committed? I mean, they'd already been guilty of many of these things already. But what was the straw that broke the camel's back? They rejected God's ultimate covenant in Christ Jesus. We will not have this man rule over us. Caesar is our God. Caesar is our king. We want him dead. So we have seen that as the outworking of this in history. And this means that in time, Israel... So if Israel is destroyed as the older covenant people, is that the end of it? What's happened? The church is Israel Israel today. And let's turn to Galatians chapter 6, 16. I know that uh, dispensationalist heads are exploding when I say that. Um, Galatians chapter 6, 16. I think I got this correct. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Paul is referring there to the church, which is the new, the true Israel. The church now and the Christian nations now are no less subject to rejection, though, for faithlessness. Now, it's not saying that God's ultimate uh, triumph in history will fail. But it is saying that, you know, uh, and, and I think this is part of the problem. I mean, some of us do to the influence of dispensationalism. But people who, because they've been infected with that type of thinking, they haven't been able to determine 
or distinguished between the times of God's bringing his curses in history versus, oh, it's the second coming. The two are entirely different things. And the fact is, we may go another 500,000 years and have numerous cycles like this where God has to continually bring the sanctions against his people until we reach the point where, by his spirit, uh, the world has become the, the, uh, the, the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. I mean, we're always in process of that. But the church now and the Christian nations, such as they exist, are no less subject to rejection by God. I mean, you know, the dispensationalists are, you know, they, they like to say, well, the Lord has an unconditional promise to Israel. But he clearly tells them in these verses, if you do this, you're dead. You're dead meat. You know, you're not safe from living a life of principal disobedience to my law. And the same applies in the new covenant as well as the old. What begins in this uh, statements as drought and sickness, it, become, it turns into epidemics and disease and disgrace and death. Just as in the blessing part, in this the cursing part, every aspect of life is cursed. Mind and body, economy, foreign relations, everything is brought under the sanctions, just as the blessings. Again, you go back and you read the first 14 verses, it's just a complete opposite of what happens. But human beings, they want to blur and make indistinct this line between good and evil, whereas God's judgment in history move to clarify those lines that men seek to erase. The curses, like the blessings, are on the people and on the land. In Genesis 3.17, well, turn, let's turn to it, Genesis 3.17 Jill, I'll ask you to read that, if you will. Genesis 3.17. Genesis 3.17. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till, re- till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. So what is noteworthy in Deuteronomy 28, thank you, is that in the first 14 verses, the ground and the people are blessed. They're blessed by obedience, but... Again, to uh, repeat it, the cursing comes for the disobedience. So, blessings mean freedom and prosperity. Curses equal captivity and disaster. And so, let me suggest that in closing, we learn from these verses that there is a causality uh, that governs God's world. There is a causal relationship between disobedience and curses. A conditional relationship, if you will. But secondly, every aspect of life comes under the curse. And thirdly, because God is Lord over all things, he uses men and nations, the weather, diseases, to bring judgments against disobedient people. So you can see in this long section, there's, there's a progressive nature of the sanctions, the curses. People are given time. Uh, to come to their senses and return to God and his covenant law. But apart from God, the covenant breakers will find no peace 
Instead, they will have trembling hearts, as it says, I think, in verse 65 there, and failing eyes and sorrow of mind. Now, the failing eyes means that um, because sin blinds them, they will not recognize the most obvious facts. They'll be self-blinded. I mean, can, can somebody just off the top of your head right now tell me one of the most obvious examples of this unbelievable blindness and the inability to think straight about something so clearly obvious? Exactly. I mean, this is a prime example. It's not funny, but it's like you have no words for how blinded people have become for these kind of things. But nothing will help people who will not seek help from God. And so having denied their creator and their covenant God, they deny life and they have affirmed death. Uh, turn to Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8. And let's look at verses 35 through 36. 35 and 36. And I'm going to ask uh, Kim if you'll read it. You have the Geneva Bible? Okay, Proverbs 8, 35 to 36. I'm going to have it from two different translations. I'm going to have you read that from the Geneva Bible, and I'll read the New Jerusalem translation. Proverbs 8. Joshua, do you have it? Yeah. Okay. Proverbs 8, 35, 36. For whoso findeth me findeth life, and shall obtain favor of the Lord. He that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All they that hate me love death. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains the favor of Yahweh. But whoever misses me harms himself. All who hate me are in love with death. Now, if you're in love with something, you like it, you promote it, you want to be around it. And again, that's a perfect commentary on our modern culture. For a law-abiding man, the law, if it's God's law, is life. It is protection. For the lawless, it means condemnation and death. And one of the most tragic developments in history has been the uh, rise of antinomianism in our churches. And the rejection of the law by the church is an affirmation of death. Because grace is the parallel of the law. The two go together. And so we are surrounded by a culture of death today, and we see it in all these things, uh, great and small. And let me end, as I did last time, uh, with a quote from Dr. Rush Dooney personal anecdote. He says, years ago, I first learned that it would be wise to separate myself from a brilliant thinker when I discovered that despite his serious health problems, he had a studied or an intentional contempt for the rules of health. He saw them as unworthy of serious concern. And since then, his course has become suicidal. Man's suicidal drive, he says, is apparent in a variety of areas. And Deuteronomy 28 tells us that we live in a world of laws and that curses and blessings inescapably and irresistibly pursue us. Curses and blessings irresistibly pursue us. And he says the rules are made by God, not man. The blessings and the cursings are God-ordained and they are the conditions of life. And he says, concluding, those who try to create their own conditions invite God's judgment. All right, so so much for the study and do we really want God